the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. Uh, Georgine is on special assignment. She's not, she's not done that sound pretty official. It does. It sounds official, and I'm really jealous. <laughs> she's not here today. She's on special assignment. And uh, so this is Pastor Rich Jones. I'm the pastor at Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsborough, and I'm here today with Pastor Matthew Dodd, and uh, we serve together at Calvary Chapel in Hillsborough. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm doing well, and it's a blessing to be with you again. I'm surprised yeah. they keep asking us back, but I it's know. great to be with you and have this opportunity to spend time with the listeners. They haven't got tired of us yet, but maybe after today... <laughs> <laughs> it will be. This might be our last one. You know, we no. make no guarantees. <laughs> well, you know, this is uh, an interesting time in which we are living, and turbulent, turbulent waters. And I think that the the situation that we're living in today has really made it challenging and difficult. I think for Christians and churches to really navigate through these these turbulent times. You know when this uh, when this virus first became known, I think when was that? Maybe December or or something like that of last year. Uh, I think uh, I and I think many others were hoping that it would be just contained and limited and and not make the impact. Uh, you know, in other words, that it would be uh, quickly just. Uh, understood, contained, restricted, you know, but that was not the case. Well, we wouldn't have gone to Africa in the middle of all this had we known. I mean, literally, things began to unfold. We're in Kenya. Right. We're getting ready to do a pastor's conference with 100 to 150 pastors. And the president says, nope. Yeah, we're shutting the country down, and then we're looking for ways to get back home. Yeah, and so uh, for those uh, listeners who are not aware, Pastor Matthew and I, uh, in March, I think we left March 9th, we went on special assignment. We were. And uh, we went to Africa uh, to teach two different pastors' conferences, one in Tanzania and one in Kenya, in Nairobi. And uh, I was a little concerned when we were leaving, actually, like, should we take this trip? I think traveling, of course, was difficult for a lot of people. And I just felt like, well, we... we we have all these pastors waiting for us. We need to go. So off we went. The first conference, I think, went pretty well. And uh, off we went to Nairobi on the second conference, and that's where everything fell apart, you might well, say. The the location where we're staying, that's where they had the first occurrence of COVID-19. They shut right. down that area. We had to move to a different location for right. lodging, and then everything just began to unfold from there. And then basically we were told, no, the conference is canceled, and you're going home. And all those pastors are, are going back to their homes as well. So we came back through Paris, and uh, they shut down Paris just an hour after we left on the plane. So we were fortunate to get out 
And the, the plane was I don't know, virtually empty. There was maybe, I don't know, 20 people on the whole plane, and uh, which made for some fun and uh, some, you know, interesting conversation with the flight attendants and a lot of humor and, oh, that was good. But then we come back and the world changed. You know, in the 10 days that we were gone, the world radically changed before our eyes, you might I say. I remember talking to my wife while we're in Africa. She goes, it's just different. Things are so much different. Right. I've never seen this before. Right. It just it just basically dissolved right before our very eyes, which just in a few days. And it just, of course, it's a living demonstration of how quickly things can change. Um, but to the degree that churches cannot even meet at all, that was shocking, of course. I did not expect, I don't think anybody expected that. But it it created and has now, it's been what now, almost six weeks since that time. Um, it's created, uh, no, more than six weeks. It's more than six weeks. Yeah, it's been more than two months now. Mm-hmm. It's created a real conundrum, a real dilemma. And, and so I want us to, to talk about that because a lot of churches are in a place where they are moving towards civil disobedience. They're going to go ahead and meet regardless of what the governor has said. Um, and as we know, there is a lawsuit that is now before the uh, state Supreme Court, and I think they'll be making a decision or looking at the case soon. Yeah, they'll be closing out in terms of receiving all the information about the arguments from both sides. I believe it's on June 2nd. And making a ruling. Uh, hopefully they'll make a ruling on that uh, at that time. But so... Uh, why did these churches you know, bring the lawsuit? I want to talk about that. And I think it really brings up the topic of civil disobedience. When is it right for a Christian to engage in civil disobedience? I mean, clearly there are times. So I think it would really be good, and I want us to kind of uh, uh, talk about that today uh, for, for a, a while in this program, to really dive into the principles behind the choice, the decision. I think uh, every pastor is going to have to make that choice, that decision. Are we going to abide by the protocol set forth by the, you know, the the governor, or are we going to engage in civil disobedience, as many churches seem to be going towards doing? I don't think the majority, but I think that many are going that way. And in fact, I I know there was a, a video that made its rounds started in California uh, with uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs, who really challenged churches, not just in California where, where he is, but all across the nation, challenging churches to join him in this uh, really civil disobedience and saying, I don't care, well, I shouldn't say it cavalierly, but uh, w- without regard to what the governor said, we're going to meet because, you know, we have the right to do so, they believe. And I think the right that they're stating there is based on the First Amendment of our Constitution. And I want us to look at that, because is that right? I mean, is, does that really give the, uh, the, the rationale for civil disobedience, which is interesting um, to use the First Amendment in that way. So I want us to look at that. And, and I'm not a lawyer, and I don't play one on TV and uh, and and I know that you were interested in being a lawyer. I was. I was actually accepted to law school. But, oh, you uh, were accepted to yeah, law school. I was. Uh, so now you're a lawyer for the Lord. You're. An... 
I wanted to be a doctor at one time. Did you really? I yeah. did too, but I was terrible at chemistry, so I jumped to law and did pretty well there. Yeah, really? That's the reason? Yeah. I was just terrible at studying. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I switched to business management back in Oregon State, but then God got a hold of my heart and eventually switched over to being a pastor. But I'm not a lawyer, and that's the point. And uh, so I'm, I'm not going to you know, be able to speak to the the legal merits, but I think I can, you know, fairly well look at the scriptures. And the great thing is, is we have the Word of God. And exactly. the Word of God, we can see principles, but also right. practice. Exactly right. Principles and practice that I think will help us navigate this. And and I know you feel the same way as I. As we talk about these things, in no way, even though it's polarizing both nationally and for the church, are we disparaging towards other pastors or calling into the question their heart or their belief in the authority of God's Word, but we're looking at it from our perspective as we're looking at the Word of God, these principles, these practices mm-hmm. to help us navigate and hopefully be a blessing to others as well. We can agree to disagree, but I still think it's important to discuss the merits of one position versus the other position. I don't think there's any harm in in, in, a, in a healthy debate. Let's reason together. <clears throat> yes, come, let's reason together as as God said to Israel in Isaiah, and I think that that does apply to us as men, right? Let's reason together. Let's look at this. Let's bat this around. All right, we're going to take a break. Stay with us. I think this is a very, very important topic that everyone's going to want to understand. Stay with us. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. Georgine is on special assignment. I love saying that. I don't know why. Uh, she's out, and so she's uh, giving us an opportunity to uh, do the show today. So this is Pastor Rich Jones, Pastor Matthew Dodd. We serve together at the Calvary Chapel in Hillsborough, and it's always a privilege to, to do this program. Matthew, I'm glad you're here today with us. It is great to be with you. Because we're talking about talking about a very important topic. Uh, this this uh, coronavirus situation, crisis, pandemic, has created a conundrum, uh, a difficulty for pastors and churches, but perhaps Christians also in general. <clears throat> Should we engage in civil disobedience and... Um, go ahead and gather churches to meet in person, live, you know, in sanctuaries, uh, without regard to uh, what the governor has set forth in these protocol guidance, you know, under the emergency powers of <clears throat> her emergency declaration. Should we engage in civil disobedience? That's the question that, that we're talking about today. Based on the First Amendment. That's based, what on first, turn to. based on First Amendment, but I think also let's connect to the scriptures, right, and understand the the Christian's perspective biblically, is there a biblical case for civil disobedience? Okay, so let me start out by giving my position and and then kind of moving from there. I of am of the mind that in regard to this particular circumstance here, in regard to this virus situation, I do not believe that this is one of those times where civil disobedience is called for. What were the guiding principles for you in making that determination? Well, I I think the overriding guiding principle is that civil disobedience is warranted only when those government laws or uh, sanctions or edicts or or, or uh, rules – 
are in direct contradiction to a biblical mandate. Okay, so if we have a biblical mandate, let's say, for example, to preach the gospel, and the government comes in and says, okay, you are not going to preach the gospel. Well, that to me is a clear contradiction to scriptural mandate, and I'm going to go for civil disobedience. And later on, I hopefully we can share some of those principles from the Word of God that support that. I want to go into the details, because here's my goal. I want to equip Christians to be able to give an answer to to those who believe that we ought to be in civil disobedience. And now, having said that, I, I do want to just say that good people can disagree. And I think that we need a lot more respect to each other. I think the animosity in this country right now, frankly, is it's tearing the, the country apart. And, and I don't know a time in my life that I have seen such a a, a division in our country. Everything seems to be about politics. Everything seems to be about animosity and division and, and fighting. So I think we need a lot more. But it's also at winning at any cost. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. That's what's so sad is that people are right. not willing to come together and dialogue. Right. Respectfully. And, and respectfully and, and try to understand the other perspective. Okay, right. let me walk in that. Let me see why you come to that conclusion and then engage so that we can see the other side of the argument as well. And I think, unfortunately, what's happening right now is that there are a lot of people who say, well, if you're not going to agree with me, then I'm going to you know, go back to violence and, and let might be right. Well, this is really devolving the nation, and uh, it, it does not bode well for the future. But then again, that speaks to latter-day events, which is a whole other topic. I just but want to stay on this. For us as Christians, right. we're supposed to have a witness that's right. And our witness is mission critical in my mind. And so I, I want us to understand how to uh, maintain a strong witness to the secular world. So getting back to your decision with the right. support of our elder board, right? Uh, why did you come to the conclusion that you came to and, and did not follow suit in why? filing a lawsuit? Yeah, because, and I think that that uh you know we every pastor has to make a very clear um decision path and and back it up right because i think this movement that started in california calling pastors to to engage in civil disobedience really gained momentum I, well and then they were they're <clears> wanting <throat> to meet on may 31st right Pentecost, right. so you have that spiritual angle. We're gonna. Right. It's the formating of the church. It's the the right. first day of the church, and now we're gonna come together and and celebrate the church on Pentecost. So that moment, that that movement, let's call it, really started to gain some momentum and became national movement. Um, I last I heard there were well more than 3000 churches across the nation that were g- getting on board with this whole idea of of engaging in civil disobedience to the point that I think that it went to President Trump and I think when President Trump made that uh announcement at his press conference on May that, 22nd May 22nd Friday um you know that was interesting it, in many ways, I believe that it, it it became kind of a cover, you might say, for those who wanted to engage in civil disobedience because now they can say, well, which authority are we supposed to be under, 
right? Because federal or state, the federal or the state. Because <clears throat> here now the president's coming out and saying, "I give you this cover, government authority cover." But then Attorney General Barr also came up prior to that saying, "Hey, we're going to be looking into yeah anything that appears to be prejudicial, right?" Um, but looking into right, there's nothing real solid. Then President comes out with this press conference with a very solid uh, uh, statement saying they're essential. They need to be open. Exactly right, and calling all governors to open the door. Now, what's interesting is when he said calling the governors to open churches. I think in many ways he's recognizing there that the authority for opening the churches does reside with the governors. Now, in that statement, I think you recognize that. But then he went further and said, if the governors do not open the doors, according to this you know, statement that I'm making, I will override them. Now, what's interesting is, by what authority is he going to override them? Because, you know, our, our country, the fabric of our country is built on this balance between the powers of the federal government and the state government, which is, I think, why it has worked well for the last 200 plus years. But what is that authority by which he can make that that statement? And I'm not sure that he frankly does have that authority because the state's rights are very clearly laid out in the Constitution. So what did it do? Well, it gave cover to those churches that wanted to engage in civil disobedience because then they could say, I am submitting because there's a federal government president has made this statement. A greater authority. That right. I'm going to recognize versus the state authority. But I would actually disagree because I believe that he, in that statement, was recognizing that governors have the authority, which is why he said that he would threaten to override them, but it was a statement without power because there is no such mandate for him to do such a thing. But it was interesting. It created even more confusion, I think, in a lot of churches. And in some ways, it was kind of a monkey wrench thrown into the works. Now what are we going to do? And um, and we got emails about that as well. Oh, I did a lot of calls, a lot of emails. Are we going to go live this <clears throat> weekend? Type of thing. And I've had a lo- I've had a lot of calls from from pastors uh, wanting to know what is our stance, what are we going to do, and and it's very important for churches and Christians all to work this out. So I want us to look at this in more detail. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And and really dive into when is it right to engage in civil disobedience. Stay with us. This is a very important topic. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. Georgine is out today. You have Pastor Rich Jones and Pastor Matthew Dodd. We serve together at Calvary Chapel in Hillsborough. It's our privilege to be sitting in for Georgine today while she is out on special assignment. It is a great time to be together with you again. And you know, Pastor Rich, last segment we were talking about our position at Calvary Chapel in regards to the COVID-19. Are we going to open? Are we not going to open up? And I know you wrote uh, an email listing out the reasons for why we would not at this time open up. And I thought maybe it would be good for those who are listening to, mm-hmm. to, to get a sense of what it is that you shared. Well, let me go back one step, because in your uh, a statement you made there, you said, uh, we ask Calvary Chapel. I, I think it's important to recognize that 
there are different Calvary chapels in the greater community with different viewpoints. Sure. So and I, I was referring to us locally. To us but locally. That's fair because there are those within the lawsuit that are Calvary chapels. Right. And I think that uh, many people who have been following this lawsuit, referring, referring here to the lawsuit brought about by 10 churches in the state of Oregon, along with some individuals um, represented by Pacific Justice Institute, um, and that lawsuit um, came before a judge in Baker County uh, who uh, ruled that the governor did go beyond her uh, uh, mandated authority and uh, declared her uh, stay-at-home orders all null and void. The governor then, and the governor's team, brought that before the state Supreme Court, which issued an immediate stay of that order, and then subsequently came out and directed that judge in Baker County to vacate that order or explain it. The judge in Baker County uh, decided to to stand by that order, but not explain it. In other words, I, I stand by my decision, which in many ways just kind of puts it back now on the state Supreme Court. And uh, so they're going to have to now rule uh, on the merits of the case. So, uh, and that should be coming any time. By the way, it might be helpful for people to realize who are listening that Calvary Chapel is not a denomination. It's an affiliation of churches. Right. And so there may be differences, differences such as we have here. Right. And I know you respect and love the pastors who are part of the lawsuit and right. there's no ill will at all. No, there's certainly room for disagreeing. There's room for seeing it differently. And I think that we need to maintain our respect. And our relationship is based on our love for Jesus Christ and our love for the gospel and the distinctives uh, that we see set forth in the gospel. So there's plenty of room for agreement. But also, uh, as somebody once said, if there's two people with the same opinions, one is not necessary. Hmm. Right, it's okay that we have different views, and uh, and we don't want it to become a distraction from the main reason for why we're here, which is to share the good news of Jesus Christ and see lives right. transformed, and to strengthen and edify the church, which is my concern. Right, I think the church is the bride of Jesus Christ, and I think that there there is a concern. I have a concern for the church and the health of the church, not just spiritually but also physically, and this and, and being very careful about this virus. I want to dive into all of that um, because it, it, it goes back to that, that, that question is, well, what are the reasons that we've taken our stance? We here at this church, Calvary Chapel Hillsboro, and I think I could say that I'm not alone in this. There are many churches who agree. In fact, the Palau team, um, I don't know, was that last week or the week before, really made a, a, a statement of unity of, uh, of many churches, and a lot of pastors signed this statement of unity. Basically, I, if I can just summarize it, the basic idea behind the, the statement that, that the Palau team put out was that we all stand in unity in abiding by the protocol set forth by the, the governor of the state under these emergency powers, and that it's important for us to be in unity together and a lot of very well said very well written very well written um and you know in my role as the the head of the ministerial association out here in the west out in this area of hillsborough greater hillsborough 
um, a number of pastors uh, contacted me asking my stance, my opinion. And, um, and of course, I saw that many Calvary chapels were involved in that lawsuit. So I had to really dive in, boil it down. So what I did was looked at the scriptures, which I want us to look at today, and, and really dive in to understand the meat of why we do what we do in regard to civil disobedience. When should a Christian engage in civil disobedience, and when should they not, scripturally speaking? So I put together this list that you were referring to, and there's 10 items on this list. And so I want to go through them, <clears throat> and I don't know that we're going to have time completely in this segment. We can do it after the break, too. Sure. But I want to go through and really look at these. There's 10 points here. So these are the reasons I... Uh, declare that it is not the time to engage in civil disobedience, that now is the time to to come under those protocols of that emergency declaration and abide by those governor's orders for not gathering together. So, all right, here we go. Uh, number one on my list, it, and, and my point I'm making here is that it does not appear that the government is acting in a prejudicial manner against churches by restricting gatherings, because that same restriction is applied to all organizations. Now, I think the counter-argument, you know, if someone was here from the other side, let's say, who held a different view, I think they would say, well, wait a minute, you know, there's large people, there's a lot of people gathering at Costco, and there's a lot of people at Fred Meyer, or whatever, you know, your favorite store is. And of course, the, the counter-argument to that is, well, but these are essential, so the counter-argument to that is, well, church is essential too, right? I, I want to talk about that a little later on my listing here. Um, my counter-argument to that is, but churches, I agree, are essential, but they're still functioning. See, it's not like a restaurant that is completely shut down, right? Well, if a restaurant is able to serve food to drive up customers— are they not still functioning? Are they still? Are they not feeding the community? There's an essential need to feed the community. There's an essential need to feed the church. So you're saying that right now we're still able to meet that essential need? Yes, because we're ministering the gospel, and we're we're speaking to the the, the spiritual needs to the church, and we're edifying, we're building up, and we're preaching the gospel, and people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we've seen an increase because we've shifted online, right? In terms of the people who are watching our services, who are engaged with what's going on here, not only here locally, but really around the world. It's been amazing to see how that has gone forth. That's right, and 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 that's one of my points also, but. Uh, that's a little later down in my list, but I'm speaking here on my first point in regards to, is the government being prejudicial? And, and my statement is no, because gatherings of, of that size, now a lot depends, of course, on the size of your church, but, um, you know, if you, let's say you got a, a sanctuary that seats 500, that's about what our sanctuary seats, and, and, uh, and you pack 500 people in there, well, there's a reason why you're not supposed to have 500 people in a sanctuary of 500 people, right? That's just, you're just, the risk of a super spreading event is exponential, right? So there's a reason why those statements are made, because the same is true. You can't have a baseball or basketball game or a football game of a large gathering. Same rationale. All right, we're, we're going to take a break. And uh, I'm not even close to being done with this 
list of reasons why we should not be engaging in civil disobedience. This is not one of those times. We're going to take a break. Don't go away. We will be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. This is Pastor Rich Jones and Pastor Matthew Dodd. We are sitting in today for Georgine Rice, who is out on special assignment. And um, we are talking about this coronavirus circumstance, this pandemic has created a circumstance where churches, Christians have to decide, is this one of those times when it's right to engage in civil disobedience and gather the churches together uh, to meet in person, live in the sanctuary, um, in disobedience to the governor's orders. And earlier in this uh, program, I I declared, made the statement where we stand on this, which is in my view, and and you and our elders, and I think many uh, pastors and churches hold the view that, no, this is not one of those times. We are going to look in this program at, well, when is it right? What determines whether it's right? Let's look at that biblically so that we are equipped to give a good, solid answer. Uh, and I think we need to understand. I think every pastor and every every Christian needs to wrestle this out, need to understand it. So, um, and I mentioned earlier in this program that the Palau team put out a statement of unity declaring essentially the same thing. A number of pastors have reached out to me. And uh, so I put together a list of 10 reasons why this is not the time to engage in civil disobedience. And my point number one that we were talking about before the break is that I don't see this is that the government is acting in a prejudicial manner. If they did, I think that would be different. If someone could demonstrate that the government is being prejudicial against the church, it would be different. Now, the counter-argument. Well, what about uh, Costco? There's hundreds of people in there. Of course, you're talking about a huge box store. But the point being, that's essential. Now, there's where the argument is. Okay, well, the, the president made the declaration, churches are essential. And and I would agree, churches are essential. Uh, but I would also counter that by saying, but churches are functioning, right? We're still able to to minister the gospel. All right, so that was my statement about whether or not we're being prejudicial. And I say, no, I don't see the government being prejudicial. Number two, and here to me this is a very important point, and that is that if churches do open their doors, start physically gathering together, meeting in the sanctuaries. And then, and that would be civil disobedience, right? And uh, and then any of these church gatherings become super spreading events. In other words, people uh, become, come to these church services and then they they become infected with the virus. And then they spread that into the community and we get this big spike because churches are gathering in disobedience. My my concern is that this is going to cause the secular world to disrespect the the churches, and therefore the name of the Lord will be defamed. Okay, that's my concern. So you're seeing that church is not helping the situation; we're actually making it worse, and potentially we, potentially worse. And you know, uh, my parents live up in Washington, mm-hmm. and not too far in Skagit County where that one occurrence had, I believe it was a choir 
There meeting. Was, now, this was early on. Early I on. I think it was early March. Yes, exactly right. Before there were many cases detected in Washington State. Literally just down the street from where my parents live, they got together. One person had, had COVID-19. And all of a sudden, it just spread through the entire group in the choir. And, and many people got sick. And if I'm not mistaken, people even passed away, unfortunately. And so that was what is called a super spreading event. And they've, of course, discovered now the singing actually does create a circumstance where the virus can be spread. Makes sense. Uh, <clears throat> so, which is why a lot of people are wearing, uh, of course, the mask. Um, so, to me, this is a very, very important thing because our witness to the community is mission critical. And this is unnecessary to to harm our witness to the community for the purpose of what? Well, it's really interesting because, you know, our gospel is, is that God loves you. Right. We love you. And yet, if we meet in this way, what kind of message are we sending if potentially it becomes a super spreading event? Exactly. And and our witness, I'm saying, is mission critical. And I tell you that there have been a number of cases around the uh, uh, around the country where Churches did gather in civil disobedience, and there was a case in Mississippi that was in the news fairly recently, where I believe they never stopped meeting; they continued to meet, and the 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 world, let's call it the secular world around them, the community, uh, took tremendous offense at this because um, the the concern is that. It's not just about the believers. It's about the believers who go to that service and then take the virus out into the community. It's not just the church. It's the community that's impacted when that happens. So literally in Mississippi, the, they burned the church down. And uh, and I believe they spray-painted the message somewhere, either on the, on the sidewalk or the building, maybe now you'll stay at home, you hypocrites. Hmm. Which I, I think was part of the rage of the community, but I think it spoke to the fact that it was not a witness, right, to the to the community. Now, the counter to that is, like, we have a constitutional right. I want to look into that constitutional right, uh, you know, in the next segment. I want to look at that constitutional right, because I, I think that perhaps those who use that as the substance of their argument are misusing uh, that First Amendment. And I want us to really look into it because it's very, very important. And Matthew, I know you have a copy of the Constitution uh, on your on your tablet. I want you to to read that segment that they are referring to to really understand is that in fact the substance and the meat of why we have the right, you know. And I think a lot of pastors are saying I've got the right, and I'm just simply standing up for my rights. But see, in my view, they're disregarding the potential of damaging the name of the Lord. Yeah, and I think we, as Christians, need to be looking for the greater good. Right. So it it's true that we have a constitutional right. Praise God that we live in a country where we can peaceably gather together and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That being said, um, we also need to be concerned about that witness, as you're saying, and making sure that nothing gets in the way of the gospel that we're trying to present. But if we have a constitutional right, but then we're quoting that constitution incorrectly, then have we made the right stand? 
And that's that's the argument that I'm making is I don't believe that we're actually using the First Amendment correctly. So you're saying it's the application. It's the application. Do we have a First Amendment right? Yes. Absolutely. I say yes, we do. There's not a question in my mind that that is substantial. It's the First Amendment. It was it was put there as the first one because it was essential to understand the rights of, of religious organizations to, you know, to be able to gather. And I want to quote word by word from that after we come back from the break, because I think it's very important that we understand. We're going to look at, at, at that, but also I want us to, of course, look at the scriptures behind why or why not should we engage in civil disobedience, but I'm still on number point number two of my we're 10 gonna list. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. There's an interesting balance that we're trying to maintain here. We're looking at the rights, but we're also looking at the good. Right. We're looking at the Word of God. And the safety is part of that good, right? The health being, hey, people are dying, right? We have to be very concerned about that. And so um, we have rights, but are we applying them rightly? So I want us to look at that when we come back. We're going to take a break. Please don't go away. I'm telling you, this is a very, very important thing to understand. And uh, so we will take this break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. This is Pastor Rich Jones and Pastor Matthew. We serve together at Calvary Chapel in Hillsborough, and Georgine Rice has uh, graciously let us host the program today. She is out, and Pastor Matthew, we are talking about that this circumstance of the virus has created a conundrum, a difficulty for churches and uh, pastors, Christians, to decide, is this one of those times when churches should engage in civil disobedience? I've stated earlier in the program, I do not believe it is. Uh, And so I put together a list of 10 reasons why Christians should not engage in civil disobedience uh, in this circumstance. And I, I'm also trying to be fair, right? I don't have someone from the opposite side here. So I'm I'm trying to introduce what I think uh, would be their perspective. And so I get to argue against them when they're not here. That's handy. But I'm, I'm being respectful and I'm being honorable to them. Some of them are, are my friends, frankly. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things I was saying before the break is that that uh, a number of churches are standing on the rights given to them under the First Amendment. And and I said before the break that I believe that, yes, we have that right, but when we're applying it wrongly, then our argument is flawed. And that's the that's the point I was making earlier. So I want to dive into that. I, that's just a big general statement. I want to look at the meat of it. So we'll look at the Constitution Amendment, First yeah. Amendment, but then also go back to your points? Yeah. So okay, let's, sounds good. Let's go, first of all, and I know you have in front of you right there, you're a well-studied, well-read uh, uh, person, and so I would like you to just quote from that First Amendment. We can get the exact wording so we can address it. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So this is the famous 
the famous Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, which says, Congress shall make no law establishing religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, the question that I would have then to those opponents is, what law did the Congress pass that you're objecting to? Exactly. Because I'm not sure the law, Congress has established a law. Now, their counter to that would be, well, we think that that, therefore, that establishment clause of the First Amendment is extended to the states, and that the states can establish, cannot establish any law. Because uh, the First Amendment clearly says Congress. But they're they're extending that to say, well, states cannot pass any law that uh, establishes religion or prohibits the free exercise thereof. Now, I would agree with that because any state that tried to uh, bring forth such a law would immediately find a challenge based on the First Amendment. But Oregon's state constitution leads with the exact same thing. That idea of the ability to freely meet and right. to freely express your faith. Right. So my counter to that is that <clears throat> there are times, emergency circumstances, and the, or the Constitution has, in fact, uh, given the governor authority in emergency circumstances to to create protocols of guidance uh, for what we must do as a people working together, you know, to to deal with this emergency. And I think everyone agreed this has been an emergency, right? This is a pandemic uh, of certainly tremendous proportions. But my my argument is that I don't believe that the state nor the federal government has established a law in violation of the First Amendment. Now, they would counter that. Again, they're not here to argue, but I think their counter would be, well, but this edict, uh, 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 based on the emergency powers, restricts the right of churches together. My counter to that would be, well, what's the point of having emergency powers if it if churches are exempted? What What are we saying here? We're saying that the governor has the right uh, to make a emergency declaration based on the circumstances of a pandemic. Oh, but it does not apply to churches. See, I, I'm just, I'm not following the logic here. Uh, she has the right, the governor has the right to make declarations, but churches are all exempt? I'm not following. See, why is that? Well, because of the First Amendment. But she's not establishing a law. She's establishing a temporary measure because of an emergency. Now, I understand that that lawsuit that was brought forth by these 10 churches, represented by Pacific Justice Institute, is stating that her emergency powers were limited to 28 days, and that by constitution she had to get the legislature to approve, and I believe it's a three-fifths majority, to extend that, and she failed to do that, and therefore they've got uh, substance to their argument. Now, that is a whole different argument. The argument based on the First Amendment, I don't believe is going to stand. But I think that particular argument may well stand. It will be interesting to see how the state Supreme Court decides that. But see, that is an error. If if that does stand, if that does stand, then the the error is on the governor's part and their lawyers for not seeing that in the Constitution and dealing with it correctly. That's a whole different question. And, and the, and the uh, Oregon Supreme Court is basically going to be looking at just as what does the letter of the law say 
Right. Not necessarily the circumstances. And then right. it would be thrown right. back to the governor to go and work with the legislature to make sure that they get enacted whatever provisions they need to to protect and extend the order if need be. However, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that that legislative approval had to be accomplished in the 28 days. Hmm. And I believe that therefore has passed. And so it, it certainly throws the whole thing into question. Now, my point being is that that's a whole different argument. That's not a, a First Amendment argument. Okay, so they didn't just have First Amendment argument. They had Oregon Constitution, as I just said. So, but let's go back to my point, which is I think it, churches who are trying to stand on the, amend, uh, uh, the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment are wrongly applying it. And I would welcome any pastor. Send me an email. I would. Uh, it's Matthew at Calvary. <laughs> wow, you just did that to I me. I laid it to you. Uh, but I believe it's wrongly applied because neither the Congress nor the state has established a law uh, either establishing or restricting the free exercise thereof of religion. Well, that kind of leads us to your third point, though, <clears throat> in right. your letter. Because... Say, for instance, the Supreme Court comes back and says, you know what? Yeah. Things are wide open now. Right. And it is what it was before COVID-19 hit. All right. Then what do we do? So thank you for that segue. Did you like that? Was that that smooth? That was good. (laughs) Uh, Third point of my 10 points. Are we going to get through all these 10 points? I have faith in you. These are solid points. I have complete faith in you. Every one of these points requires... Discussion. It does. Because I think they're important. Because uh, I wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> it's been nice being on the George and Rice show. <laughs> we will not be invited back. All right. Actually, we're going to get into my next point, point three, after the break. Totally ruined my segue. That was such a smooth one. And <laughs> that it's was gone good. Now. It's gone. I apologize. Never get it back. But we're going to come back after the break. And I'm going to look at this because it's very, very important. So do not go away. This is a very important topic that is extremely key to where we are today. All right. We will be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. Pastor Rich Jones here with Pastor Matthew Dodd. We serve together at Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro. And uh, we're sitting in for Georgine Rice today. And we're talking about when is it right for churches, Christians to engage in civil disobedience? And is this current coronavirus pandemic emergency one of those circumstances where Christians' churches should engage in civil disobedience and start to gather in sanctuaries all across the state in disobedience to the governor's uh, protocols. We stated early in the program that this is not one of those circumstances. And um, I, I put together a list of 10 points and reasons why this is not one of those. And uh, we're, we're going through these kind of slowly, but I know we're going to get through all of them. But I want us to look at this next point because I think it's <clears throat> scripturally giving us an understanding that is key to our decision. So here it is. This is actually based on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, which says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So in, in other words, if it turns out to be correct 
that l- let's say uh, the governor has uh, has has demonstrated government overreach here and restricted churches from gatherings illegally. Let's just say, and therefore churches can gather under the the legal rights established by these lawsuits. <clears throat> Is it still edifying? for churches to gather together. That's my point. See, because I, I'm convinced that if churches start to gather and and then there's super spreading events that come out of this and the communities are seeing spikes in, in cases because it's ravaging through churches, our witness is compromised. And I think our witness to the to the secular world is mission critical. We're trying to bring the gospel to the world. You're saying you love me, but, but now you got me sick. But you got... and. Potentially at risk of life. Exactly. So I'm convinced that it creates a circumstance where it divides. See, this this divides the church further. Because I think that, that, that there are many Christians who believe Romans 13 uh, statements that churches should be abiding under governing authorities. There's scriptural mandates. And Romans 13 is not just the only place. First Peter two and also similarly gives that same statement. So I think churches are divided. Uh, it creates division. Is my point within churches rather than a united witness to the world. And I've ta- yeah, and I've talked to a number of pastors who would say, yeah, here I am. You know, I'm trying to pastor this this, this group of people, and I've got voices. I've got people over here on this side saying, why aren't we gathering and we ought to be meeting? And I've got people over here saying, don't you dare. You know, this is going to be a terrible witness. And, and, and the church is divided over this. And so I think it's important that, that we go through and establish good reasons scripturally for why we should continue to abide. So practical application then. Supreme Court comes back and says, you know what? There was too much overreach by the governor. Churches can now meet. How do we translate that into application for a local church? Then, well, well I think and we have a, to be. That's a big question. Oh, it's in a terms huge of that question. Rollout and how yeah. we go about making sure that we continue to stay on point with the good news. Make sure that we ensure the safety of those who are gathering together. What does that look like? I think there's a wait and see. Roll slowly. I mean, once we actually do start meeting together, um, I, I think it's one of those be very slow, be very cautious, be very careful, because we do not want to see a spike. Exactly. And and we don't want the church to be the reason for that. And our concern would be especially those who are high risk, and you know, and love their faith, but we just don't want to see them potentially impacted, compromised because of exposure. And I believe, if I read correctly, I think in uh, the phase two rollout when when that happens, which is, I believe, three weeks after phase one. Exactly. Right. So it's fairly quickly that that the state can open the phase two. And I think in phase two that there are uh, visitations to uh, the elderly allowed. Well, if 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 church gatherings become super spreading events and then the elderly have visited, this could go in a bad way. So it we would just to... be so tragic. You, you you take a step forward and then you take five steps backwards. So that's my whole point: is our witness to to the community, and and uh, I think my point number four is is really a sub point of that, which is that people, the churches are divided again because 
a lot of people in the church are saying, I don't want to be part of a super spreading event, right? I don't want to be responsible for the spreading of this virus. I would feel terrible if it was due to me. I think you would say the same thing. Absolutely. Now, your next point is interesting because it's really directed to leaders, point number five. Right. And, and what is a leader supposed to do? You know, we're living in very turbulent times. We have no control over that whatsoever. Right. This, these are the turbulent waters that we're now in. So as a leader then, how do we navigate that? And I think your point addresses that well. Well, see, I think it's mandated on leaders when, when you're leading a group of people, lead them into peaceful waters when you can. You know, he leads me beside, you, you know, still waters. And I think that 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 leaders need to bring their their sheep, you might say, into peaceful circumstances. There are times, okay, there are times when a church must rise up in civil disobedience. I'm not disregarding the fact that there are times. Uh, I could give you classic examples. Churches in the South, rise up, right? If there's prejudice happening, rise up. Stand against that. Absolutely. Um, in, in Germany, World War II, there's a time. There's a time to stand up and say, no, this is not right. Because we choose the greater good. And what right. is good? Good is life. Jesus right. came that we may have life and life to the full. What is evil? That's a deprivation. It's a taking away of the good. It's like a parasite. So we want to do whatever we can to promote the good because that's where right. God is. The enemy come to steal, kill, and kill and destroy. And so we stand for life. And um, to me, that's a very, very important thing. So therefore, leaders need to lead their churches into into peace, not into turbulent waters. That's, imp- that's important then. So not to create more turbulence, unless it's needful right. to do so. If it's not necessary, don't go into turbulent waters unnecessarily. Exactly. So the next one, my next point, is that what I would call unnecessary civil disobedience becomes a distraction from the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to teach the Word of God, to lead people to faith, to strengthen and edify right, believers. And are we able to do that now? That's my, my whole thing. Yes, we, we are able to do that right now. And, and in fact, <clears throat> more so, I think a lot of churches, um, would a lot of pastors would say, we are reaching more people today than we've ever reached because... <clears throat> people are paying attention. Well, it's interesting. Uh, Greg Laurie, and I know our time is running out here, but Greg Laurie talked about this down in Southern California, Harvest. Right. They've seen 50,000 professions of faith. Right. And he said they would have to do four or five Harvest Crusades to match what right. is happening online right now. We're talking about filling major stadiums, you know, filled with, with people to hear the gospel in order to get that kind of response to the gospel. So the so, gospel's not contained. The, the the gospel is still going forth in power, and it's still transforming lives. And in fact, there is a revival going on, which is what I want to talk about in the next segment. So we're going to take this break and come right back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Do not go anywhere. This is a very important topic. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. All right, we are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Georgine is out today. This is Pastor Rich Jones and Pastor Matthew Dodd from Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro. And it's our privilege to be sitting in for Georgine today. And we're talking about, is this 
current crisis due to the pandemic? Is this one of those times when it's right for churches to engage in civil disobedience and begin to meet and gather um, in defiance, essentially, of the of the governor's uh, protocols and guidance for her emergency orders? And I said it earlier, no, I don't believe this is one of those times. I do want us to understand when it is right for churches or Christians to gather or to uh, engage in civil disobedience. But right now I'm going through a list that I put together uh, really why this is not one of those times. And I'm down <clears throat> in my list, uh, uh, really, to point number seven, which is to say that the church is, is still operating in the sense that the gospel goes forth, the word is being declared, and and we said before the break, actually, even in more so, we're reaching more people. The number of people searching online for Christian answers has dramatically increased. Purchases of Bibles has exponentially increased. And the number of people responding to the gospel is dramatic, right? So God's using this particular circumstance. It's really been a wake-up call. You know, people realize how fragile life is. And ultimately, you know, it's appointed once for a man to die. And then the judgment, there's that sense. Right. Am I right with God? Right. So the church still operates. They have not stopped the gospel, right? But I think also, I agree. My, My next point, point number eight, the church does have need for fellowship. Because I think that one of the scriptures... Um, that that I hear churches using, because, of course, they want scriptural reasons for what they're doing, is that scripture in Hebrews that says, do not neglect the gathering of, you know... Your, Hebrews chapter 10, yeah. Right. Do not neglect this gathering together. And I agree that the church certainly is given that mandate, right? Churches should be meeting together physically because of the fellowship. But are there not exemptions? Are there not exceptions? And I think that an emergency you know, everyone would declare, well, it's an emergency, right? Let's imagine there was a catastrophic flood, right? And and and, and families have to hunker down, you know, uh, due to, uh, you know, some virus that was spreading around due to, you know, typhoid or whatever. I don't know. You know, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, get my point. Well, would would some pastor come out and say, "What? how dare you hunker down in your homes? You ought to be meeting here, you know? No, I think everybody recognizes that in emergency circumstances for a temporary time, right, there's an exemption to the rule. But we're still able to have fellowship in the sense that we've got a number of small groups gathering uh, through the technology of Zoom and other uh, platforms where we can gather, interface, you know, see each other. Youth groups have been meeting. Right. Children's church has been meeting. We've done nights of worship and prayer. Live. Absolutely. So... All that to say, yes, of course, the church needs fellowship. But I, I believe that that scripture um, does have the capacity for exception when there's an emergency. And I can give other examples. <clears throat> so, see, if churches, my point being, if, if churches open their doors and then gather in civil disobedience, and then these become super spreading events, has the gain been worth the cost? Well, we gained what? Well, we were able to fulfill Hebrews 10. But the cost was at risk of life. And I think that weighing the cost is, is very, very important. All right. Now, Next. you have, under point number nine, 
an illustration of when we should step up and say well, enough is enough. My point being is that if there if you have a disagreement with the government, yes. if you if you believe that that this that there's government overreach, you believe that the governor's restrictions are too restricting, let's say. And that my goodness, California is allowing churches, you know, of 100 to gather and other states or what what's Oregon and you know our rates are really low in comparison, you are not moving fast enough. Okay, you disagree. Well, there's a provision for disagreement, right? If you want to make your voice heard, go march on the Capitol or whatever with social distancing. But, you know, there are legal means, right? You want to make your uh, your disagreement heard? Make your disagreement heard. There are legal means for that. And I'm grateful that our country provides for that as well. Right, exactly right. And and my last point being that this lawsuit, just really speaking about this lawsuit of these churches that have sued the state of Oregon, um, you know, I, I do believe that that is certainly to sue the state. That is dealing with the problem through the, a legal way. And if you disagree, you know, that is a right process. But as I said before, even if it's successful and the, these gatherings of the church become super spreading events, I am concerned for the witness to the secular world, which I'm saying is mission critical. All right, that's my 10 points. Excellent points. Now, what I want us to do is is to really look at, well, what does Romans 13 say? And and when when should we abide and when should we, uh, you know, when should we not? You know, just to orient us, do you mind if I read? Please. The passage that you're, we're talking about here yeah. from Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed the will, uh, who oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil, do you want to have no? Uh, do you want to have no authority, uh, fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Now I think it's worth noting that the government at the time that Paul wrote that was in fact the government of Rome, which I don't think anybody would commend as exactly a model of benevolence. There were a lot of of Christians harmed uh, under that government, and that's the one he was referring to. Now, again, I, I... I go back to this uh, this idea, right? People struggle. I think there's there's a struggle inside. They have got real issues with authority. I mean, authority issues. You know, so it's part of the flesh is my point. I think there's a natural kind of of uh chafing when uh, against authority. I think it starts as a young age, right? When when a child starts to hear from the parent, you must do this or so. They start chafing, you know, and uh, but there's that scriptural mandate, I believe, because he's he's speaking to the the character of the spirit that 
supersedes the nature of the flesh. And so he's, he's really speaking to, there's an aspect of the human soul that wants to chafe against authority. It's a lot of problems. It's, it's a real problem for a lot of people. And so I, I, we're going to take a break. This, the time is going fast. I want us to really understand and look at this and see how it applies to our lives. So we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. You are listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Do not go anywhere. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. This is Pastor Rich Jones, Pastor Matthew Dodd. We are serving together at Calvary Chapel in Hillsborough, and we're sitting in today for Georgian Rice. This is our last segment. We're going to wrap this up today, talking about whether this is one of those times, those circumstances, when it's right for Christians to engage in civil disobedience. I've said earlier in the program, this is not one of those circumstances. And there are several scriptures that really guide our understanding when it comes to should we be in submission to governing authorities. Because I think for a lot of Christians, they struggle with that. They kind of chafe with that. Really? I'm supposed to uh, come under the authority of a government that's secular? I mean, really? What What is the scriptural mandate? And I know that we read earlier, last segment from Romans 13, but there's another one also. And you also looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all things are lawful, right. but not all things are profitable. What's interesting, though, is that Peter and Paul were on the same page. Exactly. Uh, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and following, Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Notice it's about, the, again, the witness, right? The witness to the secular world. <clears throat> when we abide by those protocols, we are maintaining our witness because we're concerned for their uh, health, welfare, and safety as well, which is love. So I, I think that the scriptural mandates are clear. Um, and, I, and I think that we, we have to also at the same time say there are times when a Christian should engage in civil disobedience. I find it interesting, Peter, who wrote First Peter 2, you go to Acts chapter 4 and 5. Right. And there you see an instance where he counters and resists and objects to Authority. the Jewish leadership when they told them to stop proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, they were arrested twice. Right. And Peter in Acts chapter 5 says, hey, we are going to obey God, not man. And in chapter 4, verse 19, <clears throat> Peter and John said to the ruling council, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We're going to do, we're going to proclaim the gospel because that's the mandate that God put on us. You see, here's the principle. When the government establishes a law, an edict, a protocol that is in direct contradiction to Scripture, that's the time to engage in civil disobedience, number one. But number two, I think 
the preservation of life, right? And I, I used a, an illustration sometimes in my messages of a time when my wife was pregnant with our third uh, a daughter, and we were, I, I don't know, maybe 10 days before the due date, and she woke up one morning with an excruciating pain. She says it was so bad, she felt like uh, her pelvis was broken. And I called the hospital. They said, this is an emergency. The baby's life is at danger. Get her to the hospital right now, either by ambulance or by car. Get her here. So I told my wife, car or ambulance, we're going to the hospital. She says, no ambulance, you know. So I picked her up in my arms, nine months pregnant. I am so impressed. That was the whole point of saying that. (laughs) I pick her up, put her in the car, and we start driving to the hospital. Well, okay, we come to a red light. Now, the law of the land is you stop at a red light and you wait for it to turn green. So I'm now in a dilemma. What do I do? Do I sit there and wait for three minutes? How many red lights am I going to wait through? Right? This is an emergency. The baby's life is at, at risk here. So what do I do? Well, I, I stop at the red light, look both ways, blow right through it, which actually kind of felt good. I'll admit right now. Confession time here uh, yeah. on the Georgine Wright Show. <laughs> So I go to the next light, same thing, red light, look both ways, blow right through it. Come to the next light, look both ways. Interestingly, there was a car that started to kind of speed up. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Now, just for the record, since you're confessing, I just want to be clear, that wasn't me. (laughs) That wasn't you. Okay, here's my point. We get to, I blew through several red lights. I get to the hospital. She uh, had a raging blood infection. And the doctor said, if you, if you had not got her here when you did, she could have died or had meningitis, right? She had to be in, in quarantine for, you know, quite some time. So I get home from the hospital. A baby survived. All, all was well. We get a letter from the sheriff. You were seen. Ah, that person was getting my license plate. Turned me in. You were seen going through these red lights, these intersections, you know, and the state law says da-da-da-da. So I thought, we better call the sheriff's office and explain. I don't want you know, pastor arrested, you know. And so I call the sheriff's office and the answer from the sheriff's office is you did the right thing. You are, see, there's a higher law. When you're saving a life, you're allowed to break a a law. So you see, when laws are in conflict, choose the highest good, life. So that's my point. I think that this coronavirus is about life. It's about life and death. And I think we have to choose the highest good, which is let's be careful about the community and our witness. When churches gather together, and these, if, now there's the risk, right? If these become super spreading events, the witness to the world is the, is the risk. And that's the most important thing at the end of the day. And, and it, it, I think it's, we need to see also the scheme of the enemy here, right. to really call it out, in right. the sense of getting us off message right get us distracted we got to keep divided the, and we got to be the main thing the main thing right. which is the love of the lord our god with all our heart soul mind and strength yeah. and love one another as we love ourselves having said that let me just say uh, there are different opinions right i respect right if 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 a different view if a pastor has a different view i respect that i i'm not asking everyone to c- completely agree with me in every way and if just for clarification, the email address for Rich Jones is rich at Calvary Hillsborough, not Matthew. Just yeah. want to be clear on that yeah, one. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, no, hey, I, look, 
I'm standing on what I believe, and I've already received, you know, emails. Although my position, frankly, is not that controversial. I think I'm taking the majority position. I think the vast, vast majority of pastors and churches are saying, look, we are going to be concerned for the health of the community, and we're not going to gather until the protocols of allowance are issued. But again, I know you and I know our elder board, and you wouldn't take that position just because it's the majority opinion either. I think you look at it contextually, look at what the Word of God says, and then how do we apply these principles from the Word of God to this specific instance right. so that we have the best outcome possible. Right. Because we're living in turbulent waters, right? Turbulent times. And I think pastors, we need to understand how to lead. What reasons? What scriptures? What principles? And I think that was the whole point of of our of our program today is establishing those principles, establishing those scriptures, and looking at those laws that that are key to and applied to this circumstance, particularly uh, the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause. And uh, to me, this is a very important time for churches because we are seeing the gospel impacting. L- in it's been a long time since we've seen a revival like this. It's actually refreshing to see. And I'm just very concerned. I want our witness to the world to be strong. Well, this has uh, been a joy to be on this program. I can't wait for the next opportunity, but God bless you. Thank you so much for being part of the Georgie and Rice Show today. Be safe. Be well. Talk to you again. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.